Good morning. Throw that back up there. Doesn't it look like Jesus is going to lay the smack down on somebody in that picture? They took the eyes of Keanu Neal and superimposed it into that picture. That's, that's what he's going to do to people today. We are so glad that you are here, and on a Super Bowl Sunday, we are kicking off a new teaching series, What Jesus Meant. But before I get into that, i got a couple things I want to talk to you about. One is, we've talked about it for a few weeks now, but we want to keep reiterating this, is we are actually moving to two services as a church. Yeah, it's a good thing. And we talked about last week that it just gives us more opportunities to reach more people. Today, I want to talk about just the idea of space. And that even though we have some empty seats in here today, last week it was packed out. Um, and, and while we may have a little room for more chairs in this space, I want you to realize something. If you have kids in the ministry, you probably know the children's spaces are absolutely maxed out. They're maxed out. And so one of the things that's going to help that is going to two services. We'll have smaller classes for the kids, more individual care, and more room for the kiddos. So that's a big deal. If those rooms are full and the kids aren't getting the care they need, then we know that families won't want to bring their kids back. So we're going to make more space going to two services with our kids. And then also, if you ever come in late, you probably realize the parking lot gets really full. Am I right? And so when it gets 80% full, it's full, okay? It's the same thing in here. And so we're just creating more space with two services for us to feel a little more comfortable, but really for the people that are joining us to feel more comfortable. And so that's the idea behind going to two services. It's awesome, right? It is awesome. Can't wait. Uh, that's coming in April. Now, also one other thing, and you'll have to remember this for the end of the service, is we are actually looking for some creative types. If you're a creative person and you fit into one of these categories, if you like to draw or paint or sculpt or do anything craftsy or hobbies that are kind of uh, uh, creative like that, uh, you're one of those people. If you like to spend a lot of time on YouTube or Pinterest or other popular sites... Uh, if you can quote movie lines like all day long, ad nauseum, and people get sick of it, uh, we're looking for you. Um, if you've ever been in a play or a drama, if you'd like to listen to music that isn't Christian music, and if you like to write, like write big checks, name out the Rod Zwemke, no. Uh, <laughs> if you like to write like um, poems or screenplays or short stories or articles, those are all the kind of folks we're looking for, you creative types. And so if that's you, just right after the service, right under the screen, we just want to talk to you about five or ten minutes, kind of tell you something we're creating here at Crossroads and hope that you'll be a part. Now, let's talk about what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant. Uh, I brought up the definition of clarify, what it means to clarify. To clarify something makes, makes it, make it less confused and more clearly comprehensible. That's what we mean by um, clarify. So during this series, we're going to clarify some things that Jesus said that maybe we're getting the wrong impression about. And we all like clarity in our lives because um, we're, in fact, that we're going to demonstrate that today. How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl? Okay, a few, a few of you. I don't know what's more important than that. No. All right. Now, when you go to watch the game tonight, are you going to go to your buddy's house that has the 12-inch black and white TV? No, you're going to find a 50-inch, 60-inch, or 70-inch high-definition TV to watch that sucker on. Why? Because you can actually see the people on it, right? 
because it brings more clarity to the game and what's going on. That's exactly what we're doing. So we want to clarify some things about what Jesus has said today. We're going to clarify what he meant when he said, follow me. Follow me. He repeated that phrase over and over again in the Gospels, and it was an invitation that he gave, and he's still giving that invitation to us today. And as we clarify what Jesus meant by follow me, it's really going to do something for us. It's going to help us define what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what it means to actually follow him in our lives. Because I'm willing to bet if I went around the room and I asked different people, what do you think it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What do you think it means to follow Jesus? We'd probably ask 50 people and get 50 different answers. And can we all agree that's probably not a good thing? Like we probably ought to be on the same page when it comes to this idea that what it means to follow Jesus Christ and so we need a working definition, and what we got to understand, it's not our definition that really matters. The definition that really should matter is the definition that Jesus gave to what it means to follow, follow him. And so a good thing would be to get on the same page. The better thing would be to define it and us all agree to follow Jesus the way he intended. And the best thing would be that you and I not only agree, is that you and I seek to live our lives in a way that we follow him according to his definition. Would that be a great thing? If each one of us in our lives decided we're going to try to follow Jesus Christ by his definition of what it means to follow me. That's why we exist. That's why we're here as individuals. That's why we're here as a church. And I don't know if you know it. If you got your outline, you can fill this in. The mission of, Jesus, of Crossroads Church has always been, very simply put, we exist to be and build disciples of Christ. We exist to be and build disciples of Christ. So we exist to be a disciple. That means we want to become a good follower of Christ. And then we also want to help other people become what? Good followers of Jesus Christ. That is why this church and why every church ought to exist is to help people be something with God and then to build other people in God. So we're going to unpack uh, what that looks like. And, and to be honest with you, uh, about a year ago, we did a sermon series called Multiply. And uh, it was back at the school before we moved in here. And after that series, I got really pumped up about what God wants to do here. But I also began to ask some questions about why is it why is it that more people that come to Crossroads aren't becoming disciples of Jesus Christ? And why are not more people that come to Crossroads learning how to build other disciples of Jesus Christ and make disciples like Jesus told us to make? And I really wrestled with that question. I said, there's got to be a reason why we're not seeing more of that happen. And I thought one of the things that we've got to do as a church is to nail down what it actually means to be a disciple. And make that kind of the, the, the target that we shoot for, that we all understand this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Now, if anyone would know what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, who do you think it would be? His disciples. You got it. You got it. His disciples would. 
And if his disciples understood what it meant to follow Christ and be a disciple, then they probably, would you guess that they probably took what they learned from the three and a half years they spent with Jesus, and when the church was birthed in the book of Acts, do you think that they would try to impart those same things to the people that they led in the first church? Does that sound like a reasonable assumption? Y'all saving yourselves from this evening? (laughs) Yes. So what we're going to do is we're going to look from the book of Acts, the first church, and we're going to find certain characteristics that were true of the first disciples that ought to be true of us. And so we're going to look at a snapshot from the first church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And we're going to see seven marks of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Listen to this with me. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a church that's got it going on. That sounds like a church that I would want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church that God wants this church to be because they were living out the priorities and the characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ. They understood very clearly what it meant to follow him. So let's break it down. You've probably got, you should have seven blanks on your uh, sheet there. And we're going to just walk quickly through the seven marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these characteristics and I want you to lay your life over these seven and see how you're measuring up as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't lay your neighbor on that uh, pattern. Don't lay the person next to you sitting on that pattern. Don't talk about or think about some else lay your own life up against the definition of disciple that Jesus gave us and the first thing I want you to see is that a disciple is a member a disciple is a member verse 42 it started out this they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching now the key word there is they devoted themselves they devoted themselves they were really committed they were really committed to what was going on they were really committed to the to the church and the fellowship and they were really committed to each other now we say follow okay and that that word has kind of been changed over the last few years how many of you follow somebody on instagram facebook or twitter go ahead put me give me your hands When you follow somebody in social media, that is a very low commitment level. Am I right? It really doesn't require anything from you. All you have to do is pop in and check in and spy on them and figure out what they're doing in their life and snoop around if you want. You don't do that, do you? 
But to, for someone in Jesus' day to follow him, they would have actually had to pick up and leave where they were and physically follow Jesus around, leave their home, leave their job, leave their family. And so when Jesus said, follow me, when the scripture says they were devoted to one another, it talks about a commitment level and a, a price to be paid that is far beyond what we think about when we say, oh, I follow someone casually. It was a deep commitment that they had. So let me just stop right there. Let's evaluate how our commitment is to Jesus Christ. Let's evaluate how our commitment is to his church. The, the one thing that Jesus started and left behind, the church of Jesus Christ, is, is so let's ask ourselves, like, do we attend faithfully? Do we pray regularly for the church? Do we serve enthusiastically for Jesus' mission? Do we give generously to the cause that is the greatest cause? What is our commitment level to the things Jesus thought was important? See, in the history of Christianity, in 2,000 years, it has always cost something to follow Christ. I don't know if you saw the statistic like I did, but in 2016, it cost 90,000 Christians worldwide their life to follow Jesus Christ. They're being persecuted and killed all over the country, all over the world, in India, in China, in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, in these places. It's costing Christians everything to follow Him. And it should cost us something as well. You know, uh, 10 years ago, we bought a home in a neighborhood, and uh, we loved the house, we loved the neighborhood, and, and uh, at the closing, they, they told us something. They said, when you're making a commitment to buy this home, you're also making a commitment to the homeowners association, and you get to pay dues and fees every year to your HOA. And we thought, oh, great. And every January, we get a, we get a bill 300 and something dollars for the privilege of living in our neighborhood. And every year, I hate writing that check. Anyone else is like, I hate that HOA check. But here's what I know. Ten years ago, when we signed up to buy that home, we were signing up for that commitment as well. It was going to cost us something to live there. And so I just grip my teeth and I write the check. See, when Jesus came for you, he made a commitment to you. When Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, he made the ultimate commitment for you and I. And the question we've got to ask is, are we as committed to him, even close to the same kind of commitment that he had to us? Being a member and being committed to the cause of Christ is such a critical part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number two. A disciple is a member, and a disciple is also a magnifier. It's a, they're a magnifier. It says in verse 47, they were praising God, like we just did. Praising God. Two of those songs we just did, we were praising God, right? We were magnifying. What do I mean by magnifying? Now, um, these are reading glasses, and, and I just want you to guys know in the front row, these are not my reading glasses because I'm not really into purple zebra stripe. I promise these aren't mine. Because someone in my house needs these, but it's not me. I know I'm in trouble for that. 
But when I need these, they're going to be handy because what they do, when you put these on, they magnify. Wow, I'm getting a headache already. You guys are all blurry. How do I look, by the way? Good? When, when you put these on, they magnify what's in front of you. And so when, we, when they make what is in front of you bigger, when we come to worship God, what we are essentially doing is we are trying to make God bigger in our lives. We want to make God bigger in our hearts. We want to proclaim to Him the wonders and the glories and the majesty of who He is. And He becomes greater in our lives. He becomes greater in our hearts. He becomes greater in our thinking. He becomes a greater reality in our spirit and the problems and trials and issues and worries of our lives get what they get smaller so when we come and we magnify God he gets greater praise and the things that we're so worried about they shrink back down to the size they really are and so a disciple of Jesus Christ he there we are magnifiers of him we let him know just how awesome he is. We let God know just how, um, how glorious he is. We, we thank God for how wonderful it is that he has saved us. We thank God for how patient and kind he is with our, with our failures and faults. And we make him bigger and we become smaller and our issues become smaller. Now, that's what a disciple does. That's what a disciple does. And I've heard them all in 10 years. Well, we like to worship together at home. Or I like to go out in the woods on a Sunday morning. I really can worship God from the tree stand. You're not listening, man. Ushers. I'm not sure we're making God bigger as much as we're making ourselves bigger in those moments. But when we come here without the distractions and the worries and the issues of our life, we are intent on making God bigger and God bigger alone. You know, um, January 1, I preached the message from Matthew 25. It's the parable of the talents. And it talks about three servants who were given and entrusted with a prize. And the, and, the, and the master went away and he came back and he checked and see how faithful they were to do with what they got, what he had, the master had given them. And to the two that had done something with it and were faithful with what he'd given them, he said, you have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Guys, it's not a big thing to carve out an hour of our week. It's not a big thing to make worshiping God a priority in our lives. It's not as hard as we make it out to be. In fact, I would say this. If you can't make Sunday worship a priority in your life and your family's life, you are on the front end of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we, 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 just, we just decided here that we can't really consider someone a leader in our church or consider them to become a leader in our church if, you're not, if they're not faithful in magnifying God. And that's the, the rhythm of their life, that they come and they just tell God each week. They look forward to telling God how much they love Him through worship. And so a disciple is a magnifier. A disciple is also a member, right? But a disciple, number three, is also maturing. Maturing. Look what it says. Actually, we're going to read Acts 4.33. You could see it in the passage we read, but listen to this. It says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. 
Whoa, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? God wasn't just at work out there somewhere. God was actually at work within their lives. He was at work in their lives. And I want you to notice what was at work. It's God's grace was at work. And when God's grace is at work, grace is that we get things that we don't deserve, that God's better to us than we deserve, that he's patient and kind. And, and when he does those things, when God's grace begins to work in our hearts, in our lives, it changes uh, uh, what we want out of life, and it changes the direction of our life, not externally, but internally. And if God's grace has taken hold of our lives, maturity will be a natural byproduct of that. Here's what I mean. If God's grace is captivating you, grabbing a hold of you, and you are excited about the fact that God treats you better than you deserve, then you will naturally want to go to him and thank him. And in prayer, you'll say, God, thank you for loving me when I'm unlovable. God, thank you for forgiving me when I had no way to uh, find forgiveness apart from you. God, thank you for treating me better than I deserve. And prayer would be a natural byproduct, and thankfulness would be a natural natural byproduct of God's grace powerfully working in us. And when God's grace is powerfully working in us, it will draw us to the scriptures and we'll want to read more and more about how God has been good to us and how awesome grace is and we'll be captivated by these truths. Look what it says in Romans 2.4. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Now, we can admit it that God's, the, the, the scary part of God, the powerful part of God, the sovereign part of God, sometimes we get feared into change and feared into growth and feared into maturity. But what that scripture says is the better way, the, the more powerful way, the more lasting way is when God's grace, the kindness and goodness of God so captivates your heart that you want to change everything about your life and line it up with the priority and the agenda of God in your life because you're just so grateful and thankful for all that he has done for you. So let me ask us, myself included, is there a noticeable difference in your actions, your attitudes, your devotion, your love for God, your service to others than just one year ago? Can you look back in your life and say, hey, a year ago I was this way, but by the grace of God, he's so powerfully working in me that I'm a different person in this area of my life because God is doing something amazing in my life. That means if you can say yes to that, you're maturing in your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Maturing is, is really our activity. We need to cooperate with God in that. But I also know we need some help. And so uh, I always use this corny analogy, and I just think it's so corny we remember it. So I'm going to keep using it. But not only do we personally uh, seek to grow in maturity, we need each other's help in maturity. And so we grow best like bananas when we're in bunches. And so bana don't laugh at my cheesy uh, bananas. They grow in bunches, don't they? And they grow best in bunches. But not only do they grow best in bunches, but they also stay more fresh and alive in bunches. See, I pulled this guy off here just yesterday. And I don't know if you can tell, but there's already a noticeable difference in the color and the condition and the squishiness, if that's a word, of the bananas that are staying connected together and the one that is not. And I didn't even hit this one that hard. 
And so we grow best, we stay fresher, we stay more alive when we do it together. And so that's why we keep talking about small groups at this church. We just believe in the power of growing and maturing together in such a way that we are there for each other. So let me ask you this. You that are in a small group, you already know what I'm talking about. So here's my question. If you're in a small group and your small group has ministered to you, if they've helped you mature, just raise your hand. And you're saying, my small group has helped me grow in my faith in Jesus Christ. Look at that. That's powerful. Thank you, guys. And what I would say is if you're not in a small group, we have these little cards out on the counter before you leave. And it has a card for every small group. You ought to grab some of these and start finding a small group to be a part of. And if you're in a small group, you need to be inviting people every Sunday to come be a part of your small group because you know they're missing out on the best part of being a part of Crossroads Church. They really are. Now, a disciple is a, you say it with me, member, we'll go right on the list. A disciple is a magnifier, a disciple is maturing, and a disciple is a minister. A disciple is a minister. Look at what it says here. That they gave to anyone who had need. They were, there was ministry happening. Somebody was in need and someone else met that need. So let's ask a question. Who was giving to anyone who has need? Well, verse 43 says, um, verse 43 says everyone. And then verse 44 says all the believers. So all we can say, this wasn't the apostles that was trying to meet everyone's needs. This was everybody trying to meet each other's needs everyone who called himself a believer took it upon themselves to go out of the way to try to meet the needs of the people around them a disciple is a minister and for some reason that language has been contorted to be someone that's professional or up on stage or in the mission field when every single one of us a mark of a disciple is that we look for opportunities and we minister to each other in practical ways that's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and I was just harping on small groups, but think about it. Not only do you mature in a small group, but you actually find opportunities to minister to each other in a small group. It's one of the reasons we keep pushing this thing, because how can we minister to each other if we don't know each other? And how can we minister to each other if we don't know each other's needs? Because you can meet someone on Sunday morning and say hi. But when you get in a small group and start hearing their prayer requests and their issues and their problems, then you have the opportunity to meet a need that you never knew existed. So both maturity and ministry is accelerated. It becomes powerful in the context of a small group. So I just asked how many of you matured in a small group, but I meant to ask this one now. If you're in a small group and you had a need and someone met that need or the group met that need in your small group, slip your hand up again. You say, I had a need and my small group was there for me. Check that out. Check that out. We did. It is the most beautiful thing to have other people come alongside you in that moment of need and you never forget the love they showed you when you're in need. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, this happened to Gabriel just the other day. Addison, our oldest, had a, an activity after school, and then she was in a play that night. And so she had a little window that she could eat, and so Gabe was going to bring her some food to, uh, to eat in between the two things. And Addie's like, well, one of my friends 
doesn't have dinner either. And Gamer's like, well, we can't let her go hungry. And so spent $4 on a little meal and brought it to this little girl and just said, because I'm a minister and there's a need, it's, it's not someone else's responsibility. It's my responsibility to minister to people and to love them and meet their needs whenever those things come across my way. A disciple's a minister. You're all ministers. You're all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to embrace this idea that you are a minister. No, you can't borrow my check, but you're a minister. We all share in that together. A disciple is a member, a magnifier, is maturing, is a minister, and a disciple is a manager. Yeah, they all start with M. Have you figured that out by now? I was going to give you all M&Ms, and I thought, well, we just did the habits thing. We can't do that, so... I ate all the M&M's myself. <laughs> a disciple is a manager. Listen, this is also from Acts chapter 4. It says this. From time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. See, God was able to work and move in this first church because there were disciples there that managed their resources in such a way that they could bring glory to God and they could use their resources for the glory of God. And so what you and I have to realize, if we're going to be a manager of the things God has given us, that means we're not the owner of what God has given us. We are simply the managers of everything He has given us. It's His stuff. It's His time. It's his abilities, and they've all been entrusted to you and I to manage in a way that would glorify him. Now, he's just kind of letting us hang on to these things. Todd, you come here a second. Just stay right down there. I'm going to try to illustrate this. Um, $20 bill. I'm going to give it to you. I'm, I'm going to give it to you and entrust it to you as my manager, but there are a couple conditions that go with it, Okay. It's yours, I'm entrusting it to you, but you can't leave here with it. You only get to keep it for a certain amount of time. And when the time is over, you can either um, lose it, and I can come back and get it from you, or you can pass it on to someone else, and they get to keep it. All right, so before you leave today, before you walk out those doors, you pass that $20 bill on to someone else. And here's my point. God has handed. <laughs> that was quick. Man, man, yeah, outside the family, right? I mean, every single one of us, we've gotten, we've received things from God, and, and we didn't. He didn't have to be as generous as he has. And he, the ground rules are this: Look, I'm giving this to you to use and for the good. But you you don't get to keep it. You don't get to take it with you to the next place. Everything that you, I give you is done when this life is over. And so leverage all that I have given you for me. So we all have four things he's given us. There are four T's: time. We know what that is. Treasure is our, fi our financial resources. Temple, that's our, our body and our, um, and our talents. It's the natural abilities or supernatural spiritual gifts that he's given us. And he wants us to leverage all four of those, to manage all four of those in such a way that they are used for the glory of God. So let me ask you this. 
Did God allow us to manage our bodies in such a way that we post pictures of ourselves in the mirror and doing selfies and flexing the abs and all that? Do, does, he do, does He allow us to manage our bodies in such a way that we bring glory and attention to ourselves? No. No one wants to see my abs, I know. Does God give us uh, the money and the financial resources that he's instowed to, given to us so that we can lavish ourselves with riches? Does God give us the time he's given us on earth, however many days he's given us, does he give us that time so that we can follow our own agenda? No, it's his agenda. It's his time. It's his resources. It's his talents. And he expects us to manage those things that we would, by the end of our lives, he would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, member, magnifier, maturing, minister, manager. A disciple is also a messenger. A messenger, check this out, verse uh, chapter 5. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming, what? The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they went around telling other people about Jesus and what he had done for them. They were witnesses for Jesus Christ. They told people what they knew about Christ. And we, just like them, are called to be witnesses for him. Now, how many have ever served on jury duty? Bless you. Bless you. That is painful, is it not? I hate serving. The rest of y'all, raise your hand. Your time's coming. Your time's coming. You make like 20 bucks a day. It's awesome. But when you're in a jury, there's two kinds of witnesses that will come across the stand. There are expert witnesses that have specialized in a field and they can speak to things that are technical and specific. And then there's also eyewitnesses. There's eyewitnesses that just tell the court what they saw and what they know. Because we are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, and we are called not to be expert witnesses, but we are all called to be eyewitnesses. Every single one of us can testify. If Jesus Christ is real in your life, you can say, this is what Jesus did for me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was now blind, was blind, but now I see. I once had this fear, but he's set me free. And this was what my life was like, but now Jesus Christ intervened, and now I know something something completely different and we're called to be a witness for him this is a mark of a disciple that's what they were all doing in acts chapter 2 3 4 5 and the whole book of acts it wasn't just the apostles all of them were day-to-day temple courts they were all doing this and it said in the passage we read that lord was adding to their number daily those were being sa- that were being saved i don't know about you but that would be the most awesome thing i could ever imagine is that every day you heard another story that teresa comes in um, or gabriel comes in or, or bobby comes in and says man you won't believe what happened another person found life in jesus christ because i was a faithful witness I just need to say this. If you've been a Christian for years and you're stagnant in your spiritual growth, this is probably, no, not probably, this is the missing ingredient in your spiritual development. 
If you're not sharing your faith, you are missing out on a mark that is so critically important for you and so critically important for the people that need to hear the message. They don't know I'm going to do this, but I just want to say, if you are somebody that actively shares your faith or you've shared the good news of Christ with other people, and that's something you're swinging at, I just want you to stand up. I want us to identify who those people are in our congregation that are looking to share their faith because you won't just learn this by accident. What you need to do, if this is the mark that God is speaking to you about, that you need to grow in this area of your life, then you need to find one of these people that are standing and say, you show me how to do this because I don't know. And will you take me with you or can you show me how? And stories written a, a curriculum called the gospel stuff. You guys can be seated. Thank you for that. Find one of them after the service if that's what God's saying to you. But Story has developed a training process and program for to learn how to do this. And if God is saying this is what's missing in your walk, you need to find him. Now, I'm going to make it easy on you. Uh, just a second. Go ahead and get out your phones. That's right. I told you to. Go ahead and get out your phones. And while you do that, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I made a promise to the Lord and to myself before the year started that not counting Sunday mornings, I was going to share the good news and be a witness for Jesus Christ every week this year, 52 times. Uh, and I'm on week five, and I've shared it five times. And it is giving me new energy, excitement, and desire for the Lord as I'm doing so. Here's what I knew. I needed that, and I knew there was a whole bunch of people out there that needed that. Now, you got your phones out? We're all going to take a two-minute mission trip. Are you ready? Get out your uh, texting app, app, whatever that looks like, and think of somebody that is not in church today, somebody that you could reach out to and be a witness to, and here's what I want you to type. Just send them a quick test and say, say listen, I was at Crossroads Church today, and you came to my mind, and I wanted to know if there's anything I could pray for you about. Go ahead and start doing that. I'm going to do it too. I'm serious. Take just one or two minutes and type that name in. Someone in your contacts. Proofread it. <laughs> Spell check comes up with some crazy stuff. You don't need that awkward moment. And if your signal stinks like mine, it might not go through. No, mine went through. All right, do you get it? You are just a witness. If you did that little extra, you, that's one little way. God calls us to be a witness for him. All right? Every single one of us can be a witness, a messenger with the greatest message. We're not selling vacuum cleaners. We're not even talking about football. We're talking about the source of life and truth and hope and peace. It's Jesus Christ. And we, if we know him, that message, I don't care if they tell you no, they need that message and they want that message. They just don't know it. And so be a messenger for him. Last thing, a disciple is a multiplier. 
a disciple is a multiplier. What do I mean by that? Look at uh, Acts 6, 7. It says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So that phrase, increased rapidly, could also be translated multiplied. The number of disciples multiplied. It grew exponentially. It wasn't just people getting saved. There was something else happening. See, I don't know when people ask me for wisdom on should I take this job or should we move or should I marry this person or what do you think about this? I have no, I literally have no idea when people ask me those kind of questions. I know what kind of job would be good and I know what kind of person you should marry. But there's so many questions as a pastor I can't answer. But I can tell you emphatically, I know for a fact that God wants you to be a multiplier, to be somebody that he uses to teach or reach out and bring people the good news of Jesus Christ, teach them how to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and then equip them and challenge them and encourage them to do the same things you did with them with other people. And if you do that with someone and they start doing it with someone else and you find someone else, it begins to multiply and then large numbers of people will find Christ and this whole thing will blow up and there will be people everywhere that follow Jesus Christ. And that is a mark of a disciple. That means you can do it and you can do it and you can do it and you can do it. Every single person in this, in this room can be a multiplier of disciples for Jesus Christ. And I know that is his desire, and I know that is his agenda for your life. He wants you to know the joy. Could you imagine? You get to go to heaven someday. And you see people there that you got to touch with the message. And then you get to meet other people that you don't even know but because you touched them with a the message, then you, they went and they touched someone with a message, and they went some, to touch someone. And you start meeting people that you don't even know that were there in heaven for eternity with a God who loves them because you were committed to being a what? Multiplier. Now, that's, uh, those are seven marks that are tough, am I right? That's a high standard. And you think, man, I, I'm just not going to get there. Or may, maybe someday in heaven I'll be what I'm supposed to be. Man, I just want to challenge you and encourage you that you can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait till heaven to become more holy. You don't have to wait till heaven to start uh, worshiping God. You can be all that God asks you to be uh, starting today. If you're willing. You know, it's one of my favorite cartoons. It was a Snoopy comic. And, uh, and Charlie Brown was, there's a fence and there's a bunch of holes in the fence and he was painting circles around the different holes. And Lucy comes by and she says, what you doing, Charlie Brown? He says, well, I shot some arrows. I'm painting the bullseyes around where I hit the fence. <laughs> that sounds like a good strategy. Except as what, that isn't true, is it? See, we see someone that's been a Christian a long time or someone that's in a leader position, leadership position in church, and we figure, well, that must be what a disciple is, and we move the target off what Jesus said it was going to be, and we start creating our own bullseyes of what a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ looks like when the bullseye has been set and that you and I 
should be aiming at that target. You and I should desire to follow Jesus Christ, to lay down our life for Him, agree that His definition is the only definition that matters, and that you and I will make a determined effort to move towards these things in our lives. And if you're convinced, if God's laying some conviction on your heart today, that you need to make a move towards being a greater disciple of His, I don't want it to be just kind of an ambiguous, fuzzy thing. Why don't you identify right now which one or two of these characteristics or marks of a disciple that you're going to be intentional about growing in? Go ahead and, and write that down or, or tell somebody next to you, is I need to grow as a manager, or I need to grow as a magnifier. Whatever God has said to you this morning, you take, take it to heart and move on it. See, the same invitation that Jesus gave to the disciples, follow me, is the same invitation he gives to us today, every day. And when you wake up in the morning, his invitation is simply, follow me. I'll lead you where you need to go. I'll help you become the person I've created you to be. And every day, it's our decision whether we're going to follow Jesus Christ or not. I pray that we'll say yes to that invitation. And if you've never experienced that invitation in your life, if you've never said yes to the invitation of Jesus Christ, when he says, hey, listen, I laid down my life for you. I was willing to die a brutal death for you. And I was willing to go to the grave and then resurrect from the grave that you might have life. And now all I'm asking in return is that you would follow me if I forgive you of your sins and I give you a place in heaven and I bring you new life today. My, my, my response back is that you would simply follow me. If you've never said yes to that invitation, that Jesus wants to forgive you and lead you and love you and be your God and Savior, today you can say yes to that and just say yes to I'll follow you. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that the invitation is so simple yet it's so powerful. God, it's easy to start following something other or someone other than you. But really the whole thing of this, this thing called Christianity is simply a desire and, a, and an actionable step towards following you. And so all around the room, God, today, if there are those that say, I'm not following Jesus the way he intended me to follow him. God, would you just speak to them right now? Would you just meet them at a place of conviction and commitment and change? God, that they won't settle for anything less than being a fully devoted follower of yours. And God, this morning, if there's anyone in this room that needs to say yes to the invitation, that they are lost and they need to be found, they've never been introduced to you, they they don't know what it means to be forgiven by your son, Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, you're ready to say yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him. If you'd slip your hand up, nobody looking around. So I want to follow Jesus Christ. Praise God, I see you. And my friend, if you'll simply pray with me and tell God, God, I need you. I've sinned against you. 
and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he loved me so much that he paid my price. And I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my hope, I'm putting my trust in Jesus that he rose from the dead to give me life. And the best I know how, from this day forward, I choose to follow you. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.